You're listening to the 50 by 50 podcast for the young at heart woman who is looking to get the most out of life as she steps up to 50 and beyond. Hey there, it's Rochelle Marie. Welcome to this episode of the 50 by 50 podcast, where today we are joined by the marvelous Jillian, uh, who has many last names, so I'm not going to say any of them (laughs) because last names don't matter as much as first names as far as I'm concerned. Um, So thank you so much, Jillian, for joining us today, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Hi, Rochelle. Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, So we're going to jump right in as we do and find out a little bit about you. Uh, Those that um, have good ears will notice your accent. Um, As with many of the accents that we've spoken with lately, there's there's a whole variety. Uh, So who is Gillian at this age? How do you see yourself and who do you identify as? Um, at this amazing age that we're at. Uh, Hi, it is an amazing age, really. And I think everybody should celebrate that, really, because it is an amazing age to get to 53, as I have now. My birthday was last week. Um, My birthday. And I loved... Thank you. Um, (laughs) I had a lovely time, and it was lovely just to celebrate with everybody that I love and everybody that was around me. And to get to that age is a... a, You know, it's it's a lovely thing to do. It's a it's an honour to get to 53 and you know you'll hear a little bit about my story later um I was I've never been upset about getting older it's you know it's something I didn't think I would get to so um so each birthday I'm very happy around my birthday so I'm 53 as you can tell my accent is Scottish um I don't know if you know that in Australia you know about the different regions in England and Scotland and things so um I moved down to Cheshire, which is between Liverpool and Manchester, um, when I got married. So that was 30 years ago. And I still got my accent. So a lot of people mention that, but <laughs> I can't seem to, but it's a part of my identity. I am Scottish and but I'm also British. So um, it's part of who I am and it's a talking point for a lot of people. So I'm 53. I've got two children, the two girls, 23 and 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're my absolute world and I work as um, within social care, children's social care and a domestic abuse advisor and I'm also a health trainer so I have lots of little little jobs that um, <laughs> amount to a big job so it's very stressful um, and I've recently made quite a lot of changes because of the menopause has impacted on how I've been able to work um so I think throughout your life you do have to make these changes to make sure that you're happy so um so that's what I've done really so um I live on my own at the moment the kids have sort of moved out um and I have a partner uh, of two and a half years I think that's me in a nutshell really (laughs) so can I ask because I'm still waiting for the day All of my children have vacated the house. Uh, how was that for you? Because I know people have very different experiences of um, children fleeing the nest. How did you find it? Well, it wasn't such a big um, trauma as a lot of people have said. You know, a lot, a lot of part of my life was 
um, making my children be independent and, and self-sufficient and be able to have that confidence in, within themselves to make those choices, to move on and be fully rounded people. Mm. And part of that is that they go off and do what they need to do. And if they need to leave or even leave the country or whatever, that's that's making them who they are. You know, Katrina went to America for a year um, in university and that really shaped her as well, you know. so. Um, you have to let them go. It's part of who they are. You know, you can't keep them by you all the time. But I do miss them massively. But, you know, they keep coming back all the time. Katrina <laughs> Katrina keeps coming back and staying for a few days and then goes back away again. Laura only lives up the roads with her boyfriend. So, mm-hmm. um, and they love me so much and I love them. So, you know, you've still got that. You've still got that relationship, but you have that independence. And I did, I did sort of seek my independence for so long. Um, in my marriage I wasn't very happy at all for quite a lot of years so being able just to be me now you know choosing what I want to do when I want to do it without having to just check in with anybody you know it's so liberating it's so and I love being on my own I love time on my own you know I'm a very if I don't have time on my own you can tell you know that I haven't had it you know so I do have to have that time just to reconnect a little bit um but I do miss them but it's not the the massive blow that a lot of people maybe feel um I am um I'm counting down the day so I don't feel like it's going to be a blow for me at all (laughs) um (laughs) but I you know I do I certainly know of many women that yeah are dreading it or would rather it didn't happen at all um the the next question I have is around um I guess the the life events that you see that have shaped who you are today. So you've sort of talked mm. a little bit about who you are, but what what are the one or two things that have shaped that version of Gillian that if they hadn't have happened, you wouldn't be this version of Gillian? Yeah. Well, I've had quite a number of life events really that have shaped me from an early age. So my mum and dad split up when I was nine. So that sort of led me down a path possibly that, shaped me to to getting married when I was 23 um Mm -hmm. to a man who was 10 12 years older um who was a very very um sensible man he was very trustworthy he was lovely um and I knew he would take care of me and and be there and be dependable and uh we would have a, a a safe secure life you know so I didn't have that as a person growing up so um that really shaped who I chose really I think um and in that way we had a happy life um the children were well cared for and safe and we had a you know we traveled a lot I've been at so many places we had such a um happy life with the children traveling and, and everything but it was I would say um when I got ill I got breast I started becoming a midwife when I was 34 after the children were were in school Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought I wanted to do something that was um, giving back to people and and it would help my caring side you know I was very very empathetic and caring person so I thought I want to do something that would be fulfilling to me really so I, I, I studied and I went to become a midwife and I I got a place in midwifery which was 
you know, there was only 40 places within for 300 people. So mm -hmm. I was very um, honored to be part of that. So I worked really, really hard, um, but it was so hard. <laughs> um, my children were five and seven at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and you had to work in the hospital on shifts as you would do as a midwife and go to university three days a week. Um, and my husband had a very high flying job um, and he didn't really, he wasn't able to help possibly. <laughs> um, so it was so stressful having to drop the kids off at a childminder at six o'clock in the morning so I could get to shift at seven. Uh, the guilt I felt for the children was just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, leaving them and having to make those decisions about it and being selfish in a way because I wanted that career. And I just remember sitting in the car and the stress level was just unbelievable. I just tried to get to university because if you didn't get there on time, you would get, you'd have to make the time up. And I didn't know how I'd make the time up. And just the stress level was just through the roof. And then I discovered a lump in my breast in the middle of all this, which turned out to be breast cancer. So I was 35 at the time. Mm. Um, and it was just a bit of a, an out-of-body experience, really. It was just like, that can't be happening that's that's not right you know so but then it progressively got even worse you know I would go for scans and scans and decided I'd have a mastectomy to get rid of it because I just wanted it off I just mm -hmm. wanted it out of my body mm -hmm. um so I went for the scans and then they found things in my liver um little pockets of of whatever they were cysts or something I don't know they were just through throughout my liver so that's that scan was just horrific because he basically told me um they thought it was cancer in my liver and if that was the case it was six months I had left so at that point you think well it's got to be cancer there's nothing else it could be you know and the doctors thought that as well you know yeah. so so it was that just floored me that just I was inconsolable, but I wasn't inconsolable about my own life. It was about my, being there for my children, you know, not watching them grow up, not being. And I was such a present mother at that time. You know, the dad worked a lot. Um, I was the main caregiver. I was the main person there for them. Um, so not to be able to make those decisions for them, not being able to share my um, advice when they grew up, you know, when they got married, when they had their periods, when they... They had the first boyfriend um and that was the thing that was the hardest it wasn't it wasn't dying myself it was for them really and for my mum and my sister and my husband and um so that was really really hard so I had to go through chemotherapy and if the chemotherapy shrunk the things in my liver then that meant it was cancer and uh, that was it six months I had left um so I had six months of thinking I was dying, <laughs> um, which it just feels like it was a different person now. It doesn't really feel like it was me. Um, so I made lots of lists. I made lots of, of letters. I wrote lots of letters to my children about these life events that I couldn't be there for. Um, I made a video uh, for them. I, um, I got little memory boxes ready for them um, just so that they could have that part of me when they grew up um and then miraculously I went for my appointment and they said it's not in your liver it's just little cysts that would could just be there so 
Um, I went for my doctor's appointment with my friend who was a midwife as well. At the time, she was suffering breast cancer as well, but we thought she was getting better. And my appointment was, no, you're fine. You're going to be okay. And hers was, no, I'm sorry, you're going to die. And she died in three months. So, you know, it's a horrible, horrible disease. But I do feel it was stress that brought it on. It was the stress of trying to juggle everything in my life that brought it on. So I'm very, very aware that I try not to have stress now, um, which has changed sort of outlook on life, really. Um, but it's not really changed the outlook on life as much as you think it would. <laughs> you think you'd be like, oh, look at all the lovely birds and the flowers and, the, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It has that in a way, but you'd still stress about the small stuff. You still stress about things at work. You still stress about relationships. You still stress about what that person thinks about you. Um, it doesn't. It hasn't changed me massively, I don't mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a turning point in my life because then I decided not to go back to midwifery because I couldn't. It was the only thing that would stop me in my tracks. That diagnosis. It was the only thing that would stop me from carrying on you know you just carry on and you carry on until something just makes you stop yeah. um as I think particularly as women we do you know we're so, so strong yeah. you know and um we just carry on we get up in the morning and we just do it like Donna said before you know you just do it you know mm. um so uh so that's probably one a big part of my life so that's shaped me moving forward I changed my job I went into family support work social care work and part-time um which then sort of shaped where I went professionally um so and I think that changed my life with my husband as well at the time it changed he was very supportive and looked after me but me as a person changed yeah, I think yeah. so, so then that led to me leaving my marriage mm -hmm. Um, sorry, were you going to ask me a question there? Sorry. No, 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 that's okay. Um, and, and that's, um, I think that's a, a big, I, I don't know that that gets talked about as much. Like when you, when you hear about divorce, it's always, um, either, you know, one or the other party was a terrible person, which is, is never that simple. There's always nuance, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, the stress of money or the stress of something. And I think that quite often it is just that one person changes in a different direction than the other person changes. Um, and so who you went into the marriage as together is no longer who you are. And, yeah. um, you know, a number of people still stay in that space, but not happily. Um, yeah, that, that was it massively. Yeah. Who I went into that marriage was not the person I was. Mm. And I... I move forward but he didn't seem to come along with me mm -hmm. moving forward so we're very independent people he was a bit keen hill walker so he would go off and hill walk or, or play golf or and I, I you know and then I would do my own thing a lot of the time so we just moved off in different different ways really we weren't particularly communicative and I take responsibility for that myself you know um a lot of that was me not demanding what I needed yeah. um you know, how was he supposed to know if I didn't ask? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, you know, and we're still friends. We're, you know, it was completely amicable. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was unhappy for, I would say, about 10 years, and I kept saying about how unhappy I was, and he tried so hard 
to make it better but at that point it had gone you know mm. you can't get that back even mm. if you try your absolute best and I tried for the children and I thought it would be better to stay for the children and have that stable life I'd, I had a broken home you know as I say mm-hmm. um I just thought it would be easy they want I wanted that, that stability and that financial um stability you mm. know for them mm. Um, so I stayed for about 10 years and it, it just got to the point where I just thought I can't do this anymore I cannot be this person anymore um, surely and also I can't do that to him mm-hmm. you know we were coming up to the 25 year anniversary I couldn't I couldn't in all conscience have a celebration for that mm-hmm. um, because it would be hypocritical really mm-hmm. so um, I still love him as a person. He's a wonderful man, but I, I wasn't getting that emotional, um, that emotional connection with somebody, that partnership, that um, yeah. Um, so I made the decision to to leave, and it was it was awful, you know, because you you're tearing apart something that had been there for twenty five years. We had the partnership, but. We had a life together, but it was so hard to take that apart, really, um, and to watch somebody that you did love um, be so upset about it, you know. So, mm-hmm. and it's, I was very upset about it. But yeah, it's never easy. But you um, have to take these chances, you know, and at face death, you have to sort of live your best life. You've been given that second chance. You have to live your best life as much as you can, and I don't regret it. I'm so much happier now. Mm. Um, I heard this, um, I think it was an article uh, years back now where they suggested that because the world's moved on a lot from when marriage was first a thing and it used to be that we would get married reasonably young and we would probably be married for 20 years before one or the other of us passed away and in that time we had a child every second year and they would be out working the farm and, you know, there was a real practical application to it. And so mm. this person had um, suggested that maybe we have 10-year marriage contracts and every 10 years you both need to come back to the table and decide whether the contract should be renewed for another 10 mm. years because mm. we do change so much in 10 years. And at the moment it is fraught with guilt and um, pain and yeah he was kind of saying maybe this is a way that we can leave the guilt and pain behind and change our expectations around marriage and you know make it Mm. more of a and I do wonder if that would make us approach marriage quite differently as well like you know I think so yeah if we know yeah at risk every 10 years yeah it'd be an interesting experiment then it would be a, a a joint decision as well mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. you check in with each other and I think that was part of my marriage it, it was only when it got to crunch point that I actually said anything yeah about it and at that point it'd gone you know yeah. my feelings had changed completely I didn't I, I didn't want to be there anymore and you can't get that back no. so if it maybe we checked in before that and said well this is what I'm feeling this is my my problem at the minute um what can we do about it then it might have changed mm-hmm. um I don't know. I I am a completely different person than I was when I got married. You know, he made the decisions about everything because he was a bigger earner. Mm -hmm. You know, now 
I'm such a liberated feminist, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not standing for this anymore, you know, so I make my <laughs> decisions and I want to do what I want to do, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't have stood he wouldn't have he would have carried on with that you know he would have been he's not a he's not a a controlling person it was just the way it was you know yes yeah but a lot of it is my fault because I didn't say anything you know the way I was then it was like oh he must know better than me you know yeah I never said anything yeah yeah and I again I think as young people when we get married communication we're not we're not taught that skill particularly well um and and I don't know this is my experience but I was the same in my first marriage my communication was terrible um and I'm the same as you I take that on board and and my husband's communication was also terrible and he needs Mm -hmm. to take that Mm -hmm. on board uh and it wasn't until afterwards that I realized and learned and did something about it but I wish I'd known earlier how important that skill was um it's yeah it's a shame that it's not taught somewhere yeah, definitely definitely somewhere. yeah yeah to communicate without anger as well and I think yeah. that's something that it held me back as well because my mom and dad's marriage it was based a lot of anger and mm-hmm. when we had when my dad had arguments with my mom he walked out he left mm-hmm. you know and that was the basis of what I thought was a relationship people left yeah. <laughs> so if you had an argument with somebody they left right. um, you couldn't communicate and share share your point of view of anything because it wasn't listened to you know yeah. that yeah. something catastrophic happened so yeah. now I know that's not what happens right. you know you would talk it through and you get to a resolution so yeah. yeah 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 it is amazing what we 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 believe what we grow up with we believe you know yeah. so much of uh, our world is shaped by what we see uh apparently to the age of seven or eight and it's it takes a lot to change those beliefs like you said like something catastrophic often needs to happen before we can see our what we think is just truth what we think is fact um yeah we can see that as just a belief that actually can be changed yeah yeah and nothing bad happened you know I said what I wanted and demanded it and nothing bad happened Mm -hmm. you know and the more that happens the more you think oh actually this actually works you know (laughs) (laughs) who knew who knew yeah yeah that's it um okay any any I mean that's that's a couple in there of of big life events um was there anything else that you wanted to do a quiet life now (laughs) (laughs) I mean yay <laughs> it's not a bad thing, I think. Um, there's there's just one more question I have in there to to sort of touch on is that like you gave me goosebumps when you said that you went back in to the doctors to be told after six months of genuinely thinking you were going to die yeah to be told that you weren't what was the what was the thought process, the feelings? Like, I feel like I would have just folded to the floor if I was standing. So how did that, how did that land with you? It was absolute joy. It was absolute elation. It was absolute disbelief because mm-hmm. I told myself for six months I was dying, you know. I prepared myself. I prepared my children. Um, my children knew at that point that there was a possibility because that's what we were told to tell them. Mm-hmm. Um 
my mother knew everybody. My mother was going into church and 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 praying, even though she's not religious, you know. Um, it, but then it was almost unreal. It was almost an unreality that oh right, okay, I've got to really reconfigure now what my life is now going to be like. Um, but it, I don't know. It's, it was. It did take a long time to get myself back to actually I'm going to carry on living but you still have that fear um you think you're going to relapse you think that can't be right you know I've had cancer in me you know and then you just then have to start living with a mastectomy and all that that took and the change in your body image and and not feeling yourself anymore and um not feeling sexual and just having half your body you know half that taken off it was you then had to deal with that not having any hair because at that point I didn't have any hair because I had chemotherapy um but the life just carried on you have young children you just carry on you know you have maybe a a week of being elated and think oh I'm gonna live but then you still have to do the washing you still have to get the kids to school um and then you just go into normality yeah. um, and you live your life, the life that you thought you weren't going to have. Um, and I'm so, so thankful that I've had that with my children. You know, I'm going to cry now, but um, <laughs> um, I'm so proud of them. They're so, they've achieved so much. Um, and they tell me, you know, I'm an inspiration. Katrina wrote a, an essay at school about it and um and they can't believe that that is the person I was either, you know, and what yeah. I went through. Um, so I'm so proud of them and they've achieved so much. But I think that's because I did make those changes in life, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I decided that they were my focus after that, you know, and I worked my life around them. The midwifery wasn't for me, but it gave me a lot of skills to move on to what my professional life was then. I wouldn't be what I was now mm-hmm. if I hadn't done that basis. The decisions I took then to go into family support then made me do what I'm doing now. So, um, but it gave me so it gave me the opportunity to re re look at my life and what was important. So I changed my job, but made me go into a different area of work, which I wouldn't have had before. I stopped midwifery, so I had weekends and and Christmas with them, um, and it made me be present for my children and be that. You know, we had such good times. We went on holiday together. We had fun. Um, like Donna said in a previous podcast, it made me be a child with them. You know, it made me be made me be somebody that was joyful and happy to be alive. And, you know, and my children were shaped by it as well. You know, um, they changed a lot because they knew what we'd gone through. And, and, you know, they thought their mother was going to die. So that's... Sh- shaped them as children as well and to be appreciative of everything and um but it's made me really really appreciate everything that I've had that time with the children really um I've had that time to to just live you know (laughs) I've had that time just to I do step back and look at the flowers and the roses and the and the birds I do do that um (laughs) because you have to reconnect and just pull yourself back from day-to-day life all the time because you just go on this treadmill of just life a lot of the time but you do have to step back and appreciate what you have really mm-hmm. and I don't think you realize that until you get to the point where you might not have it anymore 
And I think we talk a lot about regrets in life and I don't have any regrets because that's made me think, right, you've got to do it. You know, you've got to, if you want to go and do that holiday, nothing's stopping you. You know, you have to, you have to go and do it and push yourself through it, even though it's really, really scary. Or you have to change a job, even if it's really, really scary or change a relationship because you can't just have a half life, Yeah. you know, you have to have a full life um, and just appreciate every minute of it, you know, but you still worry about washing the socks or, you know, it doesn't change you that way. <laughs> you know, it doesn't change you fundamentally, I don't think. Well, I think it does change you fundamentally, but outwardly, maybe not. Nobody yeah. thinks I've changed. You know, everybody thought I sailed through it, I think. But wow. I didn't, I don't think. No. Yeah. I, I mean, there's always that balance. We, we're often told, you know, live it, live today like it's the last day of your life. Mm. Um, but then also you've got to pay the mortgage next week. So don't, yeah. you know, don't live it quite yeah. like it's the last day yeah. of your life. So there's always that balance. Um, but yeah. I think, you know, what what I hear is that we can live like it's the last day of our life by by making it a full day as opposed to spending all that money up front <laughs> is that fair yeah. yeah yeah i don't accumulate things anymore mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I don't i live life through having experiences mm -hmm. um I, I say yes often to things you know but, but also I've got to this age as well when I say no often to things, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I know who I am, what I like doing, and I say no if I don't want to do it. Yeah. But I think that's maybe over lockdown that's happened as well over the, the pandemic we've yeah. had. I thought, I'm actually quite happy just doing my own thing, walking mm. the dog, mm. you know. I don't have to be constantly social mm. because I thought that being social was part of be living my best life, being... Mm -hmm. To open to new opportunities and thinking oh I've got to be look like I'm absolutely living my life all the time you know but actually you can step back and just think actually I'm just going to take that little bit of time to myself and and just self-reflect for a bit and and just be me read a book or go for a walk in the forest and watch you know watch the sunrise or you know I sound very deep and meaningful here but <laughs> You do have to do that, you know, rather than just get on that treadmill of, of oh, yes, I've got to do that because that person expects that of me. Yeah. You know, I'm not doing that anymore. Mm. It's, it's just, it sounds like you're just talking about listening to yourself around what brings you joy and allowing mm. that to happen, whether it's by yourself or with other people. Um, yeah. And that can change moment to moment, right? So it's just about checking in where, where am I going to find yeah. joy today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Checking in is the thing, I think. Mm -hmm. You have to check in with yourself a lot of the time and be self-reflective and be self-aware, mm. I think. And I think that's a big part of being older, mm. you know. Yeah, you've got to the point in this this age that you, you're, you've you've earned it, you know. Mm. You've earned it. Um, you've brought your children up. You've worked really, really hard. You've got to the menopause. And the menopause has floored me. It's absolutely floored me. Uh, I don't have the energy I had, you know, depression just took over me. My anxiety levels were sky high. Uh, so I've had to do it because I can't cope otherwise, you know, I cannot function without doing that. So 
I think you have to do that at this age, really. Mm. Um, mm. Just stop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. What is something you wish you'd known earlier? I think I touched on it earlier. I think it was about communication. Yeah. I think I wish I'd known to um, voice what I wanted, what I needed in my relationships. Mm. It wasn't trying to be this person that people expected me to be mm -hmm. um, and nothing really bad happened if I, I was selfish about things and I, I demanded what I wanted in a way mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is the communication I know it's a lot what went wrong in my marriage I didn't actually tell him um, what I wanted and you know there was sort of things like I was up all night being sick and then in the morning he went off and went to play golf and I was like well I've been sick all night I've got the kids you know yeah you're not going to go off and play golf but I never voiced that yeah you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the person I am now would have said no actually I need this help you need to stay here and look after the children I've not slept I've been ill you know and you can't assume that somebody would think that you, know, you no. can't assume that somebody would say Oh, actually, maybe I should do that because they've got their own agenda, haven't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. So probably I think it's if, about voice. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say if yeah. if we let them, you know, if we haven't ever said anything, then and they've sort of done that behaviour before, then they exactly. think yeah. assume that you are okay with it because you've never yeah. said you're not. So yeah, yeah, like if whereas if you start off that way um then they learn that behavior instead and so yeah. you know after a couple yeah. of years they would be like oh you've been sick i'll stay home you wouldn't even need to tell them anymore because you've yeah. i don't want to say trained them but um no it's about adapting living with people isn't it yeah, yeah. Your boundaries exactly yeah That's it. you you've you've said what i expect from somebody mm -hmm. um and i deserve it and i don't deserve to to be sort of left like that or it could be anything it could be I expect you to wash the dishes or I expect you to help with the the, the hoovering or yeah. you know it, it's about that communication like we said before we should have we should have skills in communication which you know with children on their devices all the time that skill has been lost mm -hmm. um we cannot have that one-to-one -one conversation where you say what you need and and expect it back from somebody mm. really and vice versa, um, and be able to accept that from somebody else. Mm. Um, so I think I've learned that a lot of the time. And also with your children, you know, it's about being like that with your children going forward as adults. You're not mum anymore. You're, you're, well, you are mum, but, but you're not there as be all and end all to just do everything for them. You know, yes. the, they have to be a joint partnership in that relationship as well. So. I think, yeah, I've learned that maybe just communicate, you know, yeah. put your needs first a lot of the time. It's not being selfish, it's what you need to do, really. Yeah. yeah. And and I mean, part of that is about listening in return, right? And reciprocating. Yeah, definitely. Not just all yeah. me, it's and what and what do you need? Being actively listening. Yes. Yeah, not yeah. listening to the point we just want to say what you want to say. It's about listening to that person and actually trying to learn what they're not saying to you as well. Yes. Um, uh, you know, what is underlying what they're saying to you rather than 
just taking it as face value you know what where are they coming from really mm, 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 yeah yeah good um good lessons i think and like we said yeah if we could if we could have everybody go through some kind of training for that that would be a much better world than uh all the interesting arguments i see on social media at the moment I try and stay off that as much as i can because i just don't understand all of the arguing um yeah. okay final yeah. question jillian what are you looking forward to the most right now i think looking forward to just carrying on as i am now that i feel i am the person my best person now you know i've gone through such trauma in my life um to get to the point where i am now um to get to the point where i'm happy in my own skin i'm happy how i look i don't care what people think of me particularly you know that's their problem not mm -hmm. mine mm -hmm. um and as donna said you you can do what you like you know you can dance in the, the stream or you can dance through the leaves um and it doesn't matter it's finding the joy and everything in life you know it's finding the joy in the little things it's walking the dog and watching the sunset come up or um going on the beach um it's just living your best life really um being healthy carrying on being healthy um and making sure mentally i'm healthy as well to be able to live that and not be so stressed that i i'm ill i thought you know and actually appreciating that you don't need lots of things or, or or money to actually be able to enjoy your life. You know, it's about going out in nature. It's about having your family around you. It's about those relationships with people you love. That's the thing that's the best thing really about life. Um, not having any regrets. You know, I don't think I've got any regrets about anything. I think that's the key really. If you feel unhappy, and living like Donna and I said under that cloud of you don't know what to do you don't know how to change things you have to change it somehow mm. you do have to change it somehow and, and the, what you've changed is different but it's not necessarily worse and you've made that decision so that decision in itself is freeing you know that decision to do something is is because you don't regret what you don't do um you no, you don't regret what you do you regret what you don't do that's it you know so. <laughs> yeah that's exactly yeah. it yeah i um yeah. i think my first episode i talked about um that's been my mentor and it's and it's very true and i like i know it it can be really hard to make a decision but by not making a decision you're making the decision so yeah i think if and i think you, it gets to the point where it gets to the point where you're so unhappy constantly putting it through your mind mm -hmm. and constantly thinking about it that actually it's a relief when you do make that decision mm. because that feeling of like treacle is um is it's not got that's gone you yeah. know so it's got to be better yeah 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 i think if you've been belaboring over a decision for a long time um you know anything six months a year it's enough um, ten years. At ten, ten years, years then, <laughs> you know, if you're at ten years, uh, it's probably time to make the decision because it's not getting any better. <laughs> but you're not alone in that. You're definitely not alone. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. 
Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Gillian. I really appreciated you, your, your conversation. Um, you know, there's some big things that have happened in your life, but I love how you've come out of it and your attitude that you have to it all now. It could have made you quite bitter. You know, there's a few things in there that some people would take as um, the chance to write many angry letters to many people. So <laughs> I'm glad you didn't choose that route. Um, and, and chose to, you know, recognize it for the chance that it was and the, the changes that you made and, and how much better your daughter's lives have become because of it. So it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. My greatest achievement there. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. <laughs> um, okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Rochelle. It's been lovely. Wonderful. Thank you for listening right to the end and we will catch you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the 50 by 50 podcast. I'm really glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, could you rate and leave a review? This really goes a long way in helping other women to find the podcast. Also, if you have a question about turning 50 or making the most out of life, email me at rochelle at herleadershipway.com. You'll find that address in the show notes and I might be able to address it in an upcoming episode. And I'll see you next episode.